open there at 2 Peter. Um, and there are Bibles up the back if you want to go and grab one. Uh, you know, that's all good as well. Um, my name's Jono, by the way, if we haven't met, and, and it's a joy to be here with you this afternoon. Uh, I'm the pastor of the church here. Um, some, some of you know us reasonably well, and, and so you'd know that we have four children uh, in our household at, at the moment. Um, can I tell you a bit about our bedtime routine? Uh, I reckon it really begins with dinner at the table. Uh, there's, a, there's a Bible reading and prayer uh, between the main meal and dessert, and dessert really just sits here so that you can get through the main meal uh, and all the rest. After dessert, this is the theory, it's tidy up the kitchen uh, together. That doesn't often land well. Uh, and then it's toilet, teeth, bed. And the older boys do some reading on their own in their rooms. And Jen or I will tell a story or, or read a book to the younger two. The, that's the plan. Uh, there it is. It's all, it's all mapped out. Uh, and to some extent, the kids fall into the routine. So some of you have got younger children. How's your routine at night go? Um, to some extent, they fall into the routine. But Jen and I do find ourselves often saying, can you just get on with it? Uh, uh, I can't. There's no toothpaste. All right, I'll get you some toothpaste. Now get on with it. Uh, sometimes the distraction from the routine is a resourcing issue like the toothpaste. And other times, more often... It's just that the kids are doing something else that they're not meant to be doing. It's bedtime routine. They're meant to be cleaning their teeth. Instead, they're skipping. Uh, I get it. It's hard to walk past a skipping rope and, oh, just get a couple of skips in before I brush my teeth and you've forgotten about your teeth. All of a sudden, they're meant to be getting their pyjamas on and there's a craft project well underway. They're meant to be. Have you thought about the Christian life in this sense. Uh, God resources us to live for him. Uh, it's not the bedtime routine, but, but it's living out this great new life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at this a little last week in those first four verses of 2 Peter. The, the believer, verse 1, has a precious faith. Uh, the believer, verse 3, has God's divine power enabling us to live a godly life. God the Holy Spirit indwells everyone who has Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And verse 4, we have those, those precious promises, which in 2 Peter are, are mostly future, particularly reference to Jesus' return. When it comes to living for Jesus, there's no resource issue. We're not crying out, I don't have any toothpaste. The believer is thoroughly equipped by God himself. Spiritual maturity begins with God's provision. So in light of all of this, says Peter in this section, verse 5 to 11, we're zooming in on this afternoon. In light of all of this, get on with it. Uh, just look at verse 5. For this reason, in light of all of this, make every effort, says Peter, to add to your faith. Now, what Peter has on view here is what someone has called godly sweat. It's not something that we're to be relaxed about, even in 
laid-back regional Queenslands. It's a goal to which we're to give ourselves body and soul every day of life. The word effort could also be translated as earnestness, haste, zeal. And I wonder if that's true of us as a local church community. Zealous to be growing in Christ-likeness. Faith is that foundational coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. The the relational knowledge. Yes, I know that that Jesus is my master and my saviour. It's the gift of God. But don't stop there, says Peter. Get stuck in. And you notice he lists seven virtues for us to give ourselves to growing in. He's describing Christian character. Verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. What's the first one? Goodness. And to state the obvious, goodness is behaviour showing high moral standards. Christians are to be that way. Uh, when I was a young adult, a mate of mine, he had a really high moral standard, not a Christian. Uh, His motivation was he was studying law and he didn't want to get in trouble with the police and miss the opportunity to be a lawyer. Our motivation for goodness, you notice goodness, it's the same word that Peter used at the end of verse 3 to describe God's quality of moral excellence. We're to be like him. To goodness, Peter adds knowledge. Knowledge here, there's that knowledge of God, relational knowledge of God. Knowledge here most likely refers to that ability to understand God's will and live life in his will. Knowing the Lord Jesus and learning to see the world more and more from his perspective. Uh, Our lost world needs the knowledge of God. Confused over so many things, purpose, uh, peace, so many things. Dave Burge, in that devotional book that a number of you were doing, uh, he asks the question, do your daily habits reveal you as someone interested in God's view of things? Or are you being malformed by the values of the world? What's God's view of of this? (laughs) What's God's view on that? I want to know what God thinks about everything. That's what we're to grow in. But we're in verse 6, to knowledge add self-control. I reckon this is a big one. If we're not in control, who is? Uh, whatever passion or, or desire happens to take hold... It's true, isn't it, that Christian character does not come by accident. It's not something you fall into. There's choices, there's resolutions, there's, there's habits that we develop. I'm drinking too much. Well, with God's help, exercise self-control. A friend of mine who lives in, a, uh, in New South Wales, he was noticing that he was relying on his evening drink too much. Not getting drunk but just feeling like he was relying on that. And so he quit drinking for a year. Self-control. 
My nighttime eating is getting out of hand. Well, exercise some self-control. Uh, a struggle with pornography, exercise self-control. The social media, it's, it's out of self-control. I know someone who has a cold shower every now and again. They live in a colder climate to us. Uh, during winter, they'll do this just to remind the body who's boss, uh, who's in control. Self-control, mastery over ourselves. It's a huge thing, isn't it? Uh, I reckon much of life's struggles are caused because we lack self-control. What we do with our drink and food and, and sex, anger, social media, money, our time, my schedule, it's, it's out of control. Well, get some self-control. We're to be growing in this. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own, but with God's help, we're to get stuck in, says Peter. Perhaps there's an area of self-control that you need to address. It's not enough, though, to exercise self-control for a week or two, though, is it? I've given up coffee. Well, I have coffee on Mondays at the moment, and I'm three weeks in. One week's not enough. You, you know, you've got you've to go on for, for a little while. Uh, and so Peter adds that word perseverance. That The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. The Greek word behind perseverance, you could translate it as endurance, that the ability to hold out, to bear up under the face of difficulty. Year after year after year after year after year after year. And it seems in the context of 2 Peter that the difficulty that was on view is moral endurance amid the pressures of temptation. The false teaching in that original context, that they were encouraging believers to, to participate in immorality. Doesn't matter what you do, Jesus isn't going to return, so there's no judgment day, and so there's no boundaries. Do whatever you like. It doesn't matter what you do, Jesus isn't going to return. It does matter. He will return. We have this new life that we're to live out. We're to persevere. Christianity is an endurance sport. At the end of verse 6, Peter adds godliness. Uh, and Dave Burge, in his thing, uh, he says, a godly person is one who is keenly aware of God and begins to resemble him. We live with God in mind. We see the world as God sees the world. A godly life is lived as though God is always near, present, watching. All of life with reference to him. Church on a Sunday afternoon. God is here with us. Work on Monday. I go to work with God. School pickup at home with the family, the, the bedroom, the lounge room, even in the Aldi line, you know, the, the checkout there, or Woolies if you're still going there. All of, all of life, aware of God beginning to resemble him. 
Next in verse 7. And we're working our way through the 7, aren't we, uh, by the way? So this will be 8, 7, 8, no, this is a 9-point talk. So you put 7 and then I'll do 2 at the end. Next in verse 7, he adds mutual affection. Uh, and the ESV translates this uh, brotherly affection. But what is on view is church family member love. Uh, and it's extremely countercultural. You remember that scene where, where Jesus is teaching and, and his family is trying to get to him. And Jesus says to the people around him, well, who, who is my family? Uh, who are my mother and brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, mother. The Bible knows nothing of an individual Christian separate from church family. It's not a thing. God calls us into a family. And we're to have a growing family affection for one another. We don't have any biological family in Queensland, uh, but we have all of you. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. Do you treat God's people as family? Do you see each other that way as you look at each other? Uh, how can we be growing in this? Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, you love, brotherly love, you, you love one another. Uh, we have that outside October coming up and the, there's the women's paint party and there's Hope Explored, there's the young adults group kicking off. There, there's lots of things to, to uh, bring our interested friends along to, uh, including our regular Sunday service. But our greatest evangelistic tool, character development, our love for one another. At the end of verse 7, Peter finishes his list with love. You notice that? The crown of Christian virtues. Uh, is he repeating himself? Haven't we just done love? There's a bit of overlap between some of these character traits, isn't there? I think... Like Paul, Peter wants the emphasis to land on love here. In Colossians 3 verse 14, Paul has a list. Well, he has a list and then he finishes his list of, of Christian virtues by saying, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. How are you growing in this? I wonder if the people who know you would describe you as loving. I'm not sure they would do that of me. I, I hope that they would. How, how are we growing in this? Uh, by the way, this may not come as a surprise to you, but when I was studying, so Bible college and school, uh, it, it was more at the credits end uh, as far as results. Uh, than the high distinctions. I reckon if you get a high distinction, it doesn't really matter what you're studying. Uh, I'm half joking when I'm saying this. Uh, it may just be that you've wasted your time. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Um, you ne neglected other areas of life. Your family, your, um, I don't know, all kinds of other things. You, you may disagree. 
But when it comes to these Christian virtues, where to excel? Uh, Peter wants us to, to shoot for the high distinction and keep on growing from there. Goodness, get stuck in. Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. People are passionate about so many different things, aren't they? Like you pick a thing and someone will be passionate about it. The, the Matildas at the moment for one thing. Uh, we Just show off. Did you watch the game last night? Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Jen sort of lingered around in the background. She, she doesn't like the, the competition of it all. Um, but it was, it was such a joy uh, to, to watch the Matildas win. It's hard not to get excited uh, about the World Cup at the moment. And we should be excited, get, get passionate about the Matildas. But even more so, Christians are to be passionate about character development. As, as you long to progress in life, this is where it's at, character development. Uh, you've progressed in your career, great, your business, good. But what about this? I really hope that when our kids fly the nest, so to speak, when they leave home, that we will have been really clear with them year after year after year that that character development is the thing to pursue. You're a socceroo. You're playing for the Matildas. Wonderful. But is your character Christ-like? That's what we are to be on about. See in verse 8 and 9, if your Bible's there, Peter, this is uh, point 8. Peter motivates us with with a warning and an incentive. And and the incentive, it's there in verse 8. If you want to live a productive life for Jesus, if, if that's something you desire, well, with God's help, says Peter, possess these qualities, these Christian character qualities, in increasing measure. Do that and you will not be ineffective and unproductive. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, no matter what the climate is, no no matter the the situation, do that and you will not be ineffective and unproductive. I'd love to live a productive life for Jesus. Well, here is how. Goodness, get stuck into it. High moral standards. Knowledge, understand the world from God's perspective, (laughs) self-control. There's some things to apply, aren't there, when you go home. Perseverance, keep at it. Godliness, mutual affection, love. But if you aren't making every effort with God's help, what are we? We're like a kid with a skipping rope when we're meant to be brushing our teeth. Forgetting what, what we're meant to be doing. See this in verse 9. We read, but whoever does not have them, these traits, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You cannot know Jesus as your Lord and Master, your Saviour and master and and go on unchanged you can't it's an impossibility 
The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who isn't growing to be more like Jesus. And we, we might get distracted for a time. Well, here's the reminder to get stuck in. Perhaps in that verse 9, Peter has the, the false teachers on view. Uh, they say they're Christians. Uh, but their lives, the way they live, says nothing of the sort. If they've been cleansed from their past sins through Jesus' death on that cross, what are they doing living immoral lives? It does not add up. God puts us in a new life, a new way of, of living. The change may be slow, very slow and steady, but we will not go unchanged. Point eight, that is, Peter motivates us with the fruit. The fruit. You want to live a productive life for Jesus, we'll get stuck in. Possess these character traits with God's help in increasing measure. And finally, as he wraps up this, this section, he gives another motivator, and this is the last point. It's our homecoming. You see verse 10 and 11. We read, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Oh, he says it again, doesn't he? Make every effort. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So back in verse 9, there was that reminder to look back, uh, cleansed from past sins, uh, to look back, unlike the blind, short-sighted, false teachers who live as though Jesus won't return, look back at the cross. So we're looking around, but we also, verse 10 and 11, keep looking around, we look where? Forward to that final day, our funeral, or Jesus' return, the, the rich welcome home. God's people have been chosen not just to know Jesus, but to meet him. And someone will say, but, but I'm unsure, you know, whether I'm in or whether I'm out. Uh, and one answer to that is, is this. Make every effort. Get stuck in with God's help to develop those character traits. And you say, well, hang on, isn't this salvation by works? No, take a step back. Jesus is your master and your saviour, yes? Well, you're equipped. You have a precious faith. God the Holy Spirit, God himself has taken up residence in you. God enables you to live for him, so get stuck in. If you're not working with God's help to grow in godliness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love, if you're not working with God's help on those things, don't expect that you will have any assurance of that rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. The Bible knows nothing of a faith that doesn't work. So with God's help, 
we get stuck in. There's that old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So let's pray that with God's help, we might get stuck into developing those character traits. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we just pause now and we thank you for your equipping. Lord, so often we feel as though we, oh, I can't do it. But Lord, we can because of the grand salvation that we have in Christ. And Lord, we praise you for the cross where Jesus laid down his life in our place. Lord, forgive us for skipping when we should be brushing our teeth. Uh, Forgive us for living this life at times as though Jesus isn't going to return and finding our passion, our great, our high passion in something other than you. And Lord, this afternoon we, we pray that you would forgive us through Jesus who washes away our sin. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would help us individually and as a community get on with it. And we pray, Lord, that as we see each other progress, uh, it would rub off, that we would want to do the same, that we would together want to grow up in Christ and develop these wonderful character traits. And Lord, as, as you promise in the scriptures, uh, we pray that we would get to see the fruit and we pray that we might enjoy the assurance of a rich welcome into your eternal kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.